Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Ron Pevney. Ron is the founder and director of the Center for Conscious Eldering. He received his master's in integral counseling and psychotherapy from the California Institute of Integral Studies. He's a certified saging leader with Saging International and is a member of their coordinating circle. He is also active in the Life Planning Network and is a contributor to Second Journey. He lives in Durango, Colorado, and conducts workshops across the country, including at Earthrise and IONS retreat centers. Today, we're going to discuss his new book, Conscious Living, Conscious Aging, Embrace and Savor Your Next Chapter. What a wonderful title. Welcome, Ron. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you today. You know, Ron, even though this book focuses on preparing for the third age, as they call it, I was struck with how valuable your insights and advice would be to almost any age. I suppose that would be the conscious living part of the title. Let's, let's, however, start with the conscious aging part. What is conscious aging and what compelled you to become a leading teacher in this area? Well, conscious aging is a, an understanding of aging. Um, a way of living um, and a a preparation uh, for an elderhood that can be a time of, of real purpose and meaning and passion and service and contribution. Uh, it involves um, Awareness, rather than just drifting into getting old, it involves awareness of what's calling us as we, as we move forward into our elder chapters. Uh, awareness of uh, uh, what from our past is valuable to carry with us into those chapters, and awareness of what from our past really does need to be examined and uh, and transformed and healed, so that we have good, clear energy moving forward, uh, rather than having our energy stuck in the past. And uh, let's say you asked me of uh, what led me to um, to this work. Um, I have about a 35-year history. My my heart's work, my sense of calling for all this time has been uh, helping people move through life transitions, especially um, employing uh, rites of passage. Um, done that for a long time in various ways. And um, I guess about 14, 15 years ago, a couple of uh, a couple of major catalysts came together to to lead me consciously onto this path of conscious aging or conscious eldering. And one is that I had begun um, to develop a fascination for uh, doing uh, video-based oral history work with elders in our community. And uh, I greatly enjoyed doing that. Uh, loved the conversations. I loved uh, hearing some of the stories of strength and resilience from various of these people. Um, I just really loved being with these wonderful older folks. And I have to say that I began to wonder, uh, why is it that some of these people just seem to have a, a light in their eyes and a kind of an aliveness, a zest for life, a curiosity, um, you know, really were oriented toward uh, having a wonderful future. 
and others of the people I interviewed really seemed like the light had gone out. Uh, there was a certain almost cynicism in many of them, uh, a dwelling on the past, very often on uh, negatives from the past. And uh, some of them just didn't have the kind of energy that uh, is very attractive to others. So I began to ask myself, what, uh, what's the difference? What's going on there? And the other thing that uh, served as a major catalyst was at about that time, two wonderful wise elders, about 15 years older than me, uh, called and asked me if I would join them in creating some kind of a rite of passage program or process into, uh, into conscious eldering. And, you know, they were the wise elders. They had the wisdom, the, the gray hair, the... Uh, the passion for eldering, and I was the younger rite of passage guy. And uh, their asking me to join them really opened up an incredible chapter in my life. And as the years passed, uh, I began to see that this really was my work to uh, uh, help support people on this journey of conscious elderhood. And when, when Wes Burwell and Ann Roberts passed the torch to me about five or six years ago, I started the Center for Conscious Eldering based here in Colorado, and uh, a few colleagues and I um, used that as a, a foundation for offering week-long and, um, and workshops uh, around North America. And it's out of these, out of these experiences, and what I've learned from wise and from people on these retreats that... Uh, uh, that uh, I feel that I gained the knowledge and hopefully there's some wisdom that, that uh, enabled uh, this book to come to life. One of the sentences in your book that struck me very forcibly was um, that you can either be old or you can be an elder. And uh, that difference really forms the foundation of your book. Um, but the, the concept of the elder is particularly uh, honored in indigenous cultures. Uh, paint us a word picture of elderhood as you feel it and see it. Well, throughout most of human history that we're aware of, uh, the role of elder has been a role that has been honored, uh, esteemed and seen as critically important for the well-being of societies and of uh, and of uh, the older people in those societies and it's been it's been the elders who were expected to serve as as uh, the models for the younger generation of um, uh, of how to uh, how to live those values that endure when everything else is changing. It's the elders who have been the teachers, the mentors to the young, the initiators in rites of passage. It's been the elders who, um, who have been looked to to see the bigger picture. Uh, you know, younger people, just because of lack of experience and lack of years, um, oftentimes can't see the bigger picture. They just see what's most immediate. And the elders are the ones who, uh, who can, can see how things fit together, who can help, who help their societies to make decisions, not just as to what works now in the present, but 
but what will serve the generations to come? You know, what will serve the seventh generation, to use that wonderful Native American imagery? Um, elders have been expected uh, to, uh, throughout their lives, to learn and to grow, uh, to become uh, as whole as possible so that they can model that for their people. That's been a critical role. And I think we're all aware that in our modern culture, uh, that role has been lost. It is not recognized. It is not honored. Um, most people, as they reach retirement age, and especially if they retire and leave the careers that have identified them, just basically are viewed by the society as being pretty much irrelevant without a meaningful role. You know, our society doesn't know what to do with older people. Um, and so many people, you know, believing that that's how it is. When we retire, we, we become irrelevant, um, pretty much live uh, their later years uh, without a sense of meaningful identity, without a sense that they have a lot to contribute still. There's often this feeling that, well, my best is behind me. Whatever I had to contribute uh, kind of ended you know, the day I uh, reached retirement age. But, uh, but I, I would say, Miriam, that it is becoming so clear to me and certainly has been to, you know, psychologists, you know, from Carl Jung to James Hillman and others, it's becoming so clear that more and more people are recognizing this call to elderhood as being something that's a deep part of our psyche. It's archetypal. It's something that calls to many of us, and um, uh, it's still there. And if we're willing to do some of the work, to step out of our comfort zones, to really... Uh, aim for that and commit to it, uh, we can find ways to to serve our society as elders. And of course, it, it, you know, we can't replicate how it was in indigenous societies. We have the challenge of finding ways in our modern culture for each individual to find his or her own way to embody that uh, that role of elder. I believe it's possible. I know it's possible. I see many people aiming for that, and um, I think it is so urgently needed in, in the world that we live in today. I'm reflecting on our paradigm where people retire if they have the means, uh, and if they do have the means, they, you know, relax. Uh, maybe they do a bit of volunteer work. Um, but ultimately, it's um, not as fulfilling. And I think it's this kind of sense of irrelevance that makes people decline more than anything. Too often, they're sort of warehoused in assisted living or, or elder care home, homes. And they mentally and emotionally withdraw from the world. Now, the picture that you so persuasively draw in your book of creative elderhood, of conscious elderhood, where you are still relevant, not only are you relevant, but you are the vision keepers for the coming generations. And the wisdom and the perspective that you're able to provide because of that accumulated wisdom is vital 
to um, building a world that will still be around for the seventh generation. Because right now it's not absolutely clear that we're not at a tipping point that is going to make that, put that in question. So one of the uh, things that struck me at the end of your book actually was the question of legacy, where we ask ourselves, what will be our legacy? And this is a kind of seminal question that, that when we reflect on our lives, this can lead us into a very productive um, line of inquiry. And you, you take that really to some very interesting heights in your workshops. Um, describe some of the processes that you take people through. It's all of these processes seem to be iterative and, and they require, you know, some pretty deep inquiry. Um, tell us about your, your retreats. Well, our retreats, our Choosing Conscious Elderhood retreats, last for a week, and uh, they are held in 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 settings like Ghost Ranch, New Mexico, uh, some uh, places in uh, British Columbia on the East Coast. They're held in wonderful retreat settings where we have strong access to the natural world. Because we believe and know that when we are in nature, it opens up our hearts, it opens up our minds, it opens up our intuition. It really helps us to get in touch with those places in us that are most authentic uh, and most genuinely us in ways that it's really hard to do when we're inside man-made walls. Um, in, In the latter part of our retreat... We have a strong, well, maybe that's not true. At, at various times throughout the retreat, the theme of legacy becomes really, um, really central. Uh, and I see two uh, significant uh, aspects to legacy, and we address each of these in the retreats. And one of them is the legacy that we've created up to this point in our lives where uh, we're beginning to emerge into our elder chapters. And... You know, so many people, I believe, um, have the belief that whatever legacy that uh, we're creating in our lives has pretty much been created by the time that we reach retirement age, um, for better or for worse. Um, I think that is so untrue. But it is true that uh, we've done a lot of legacy building. And we spend significant time in the retreats looking at our past lives uh, in, in, in a variety of ways, um, looking at our, our experiences, looking at what we have learned from those, looking at what we know about our wisdom and gifts that we definitely want to take forward with us as it, we create the next chapters of our legacy, looking at those things that may or may not have served us in the past but will definitely not be serving us as as we move forward. Um, One practice that uh, we have people engage in that uh, is really valuable and people really love it, and that is um, writing what we call a legacy letter. And a legacy letter is written 
uh, in the frame of mind that uh, uh, being aware of our mortality, that we have perhaps one month to live. And so we write this letter in which we do our best to communicate to descendants of ours the essence of who we are, or once we pass on, who we were. We are their ancestors. What would we want them to know that has been most vital and uh, critical to, um, to who we have been? You know, our strengths, our weaknesses, the challenges we have faced, the contributions we've made to the world, the strengths we found, the weaknesses we've dealt with. Just an, an honest, um, honest letter of a, a page or two, or in some cases it becomes a lot longer for people, in which we really look at who we have been. And uh, in that process, we really, in many ways, get in touch with the legacy we've created up to now. Another thing we do, not on our retreats, but we, we offer shorter weekend workshops, we uh, give people in these shorter workshops an opportunity to do oral history work with each other and breaking into pairs and then just having them ask each other questions about some of those issues of their lives that have to do with meaning and purpose and challenge and strength and contributions. And people love doing oral history work with each other. Um, and um, I would say that... Uh, I can easily get on a soapbox encouraging all of us to do oral history work with elders in our communities and to have people do oral history work with us. It's such a way to get in touch with our sense of legacy. So that's focusing on the past. And as we look toward the future, uh, we have a strong emphasis on, on reminding people that for many of us after retirement age, there's going to be 20, maybe 30 years of life left. And that's an opportunity not just to, to sort of disengage and be in a holding pattern, but to create a, a whole wonderful legacy of our elderhood. And um, um, we ask people, uh, and we have various uh, uh, practices that help people to begin to envision what their lives could be like if they really were living in the fullness of their elderhood in every dimension of their lives. And so we have this one practice that uh, uh, will give people an opportunity to experience that we call 10 intentions for 10 years. And it asks people to not just create a bucket list, because, you know, we all know that bucket lists tend to be, you know, I want to skydive and I want to go on some exotic trip. And, but rather to look at all the different aspects of, of their multifaceted life you know, from relationships to a desire just for fun and joy to a desire to serve to our health and wellness to uh, to our spiritual growth and, and and to look at all of these aspects of our lives and to get as clear as we can about intentions that we might craft that help us to address each of these so that by a certain point, let's say, for example, for many people in 10 years, we are committed to doing our best that such and such and such and such will be part of our lives. It will become real. And so it's really about intentionality moving forward and, and creating the legacy of our elderhood, not just kind of like, well, it'd be nice if, or I kind of hope that, but rather 
I am committed to. I am going to be intentional about really working to bring these these kind of things into reality. Law of um, attraction, yeah. Yeah. And, Actually, I was and, I was very amused with uh, one of your intentions that uh, was to become a wonderful fly fisher, um, because I'm a fly fisher as well. But well, carry on. You. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I would add one other thing, Miriam, about about legacy, and that is that. Uh, uh, I think it is so important for us to keep in mind that generations down the road are going to be looking at us as their ancestors, and they're going to be wondering, what did my ancestors do to either help make this world the good, livable, healthy place it is now, if that's how it turns out, or what did they not do? that results in this world being a terrible, unlivable, unhealthy place if, uh, if we don't step up and do what we need to do as elders to make our contribution to, um, to the generations that will follow us. And keeping that in mind, that question in mind, really can help many people to see just beyond their own individuals, you know, whatever they might want to do or what they might enjoy, and to realize that these elder years are when we create a legacy upon which the, the 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 future of our planet rests, and so that somehow serving our people as elders is critically important. You know, all too often when people think of legacy or a will, you think in terms of monetary value. How much money am I going to leave to my children? Um, equally, too often... Um, parents feel that they are doing right by their children by making as much money to give them uh, as much material comfort as possible. And we ignore the inestimable value of the spiritual and emotional component of what we can leave to the next generation, what we can give to our children. Its value is so much higher than whatever material um, advantages we can offer. Yep. So, uh, yes, wonderful. Um, where do you think we are going as a uh, society in terms of of dealing with death and uh, dying? I, I'm particularly interested in that there's been uh, in the news quite recently uh, Oregon's uh, law of of um, compassion in, in dying or assisted suicide. Um, we are we're not really prepared for our deaths, um, and we hang on to living and youthfulness, you know, with tooth and claw. Yeah, that's um, right. Your book actually brings in the spiritual dimension of how to age and die gracefully. That is just such a refreshing voice. Expand upon the preparation for uh, this passage. Well, let me, uh, let me, Miriam, kind of respond to both of your questions, if I may. You know, we, we do indeed live in a society that uh, is in, in, in huge denial of death. Um, 
and that's part of our, our fascination and obsession with youth, is that uh, we have not uh, learned much about, uh, about endings and uh, about how endings are necessary for new beginnings, whether it's the kind of death that we have throughout our lives where, where, where we experience endings or whether it is that, uh, that final passage out of this world. But I would say that it seems that there is some real shifting happening. Um, and the shifting maybe seems to be happening concurrently with uh, this whole new empowering vision of aging that seems to be emerging from a lot of different quarters. And I'm sure that uh, you and many of your listeners are, are aware of the whole phenomenon of the death cafe. And these are spreading throughout the country where people get together uh, just to talk about uh, their mortality, their perceptions of death, their, their beliefs about what happens afterwards. It's just bringing the subject out of the closet into the open, and I, I think that is really powerful. And, and, and things like compassionate choices that you're referring to, and I know last night on NPR, um, Barbara Coons Lee, uh, I think she's head of that organization, spoke. Yeah, she founded it. Yeah. By the way, last year she was on one of our Choosing Conscious Elderhood retreats, so it was really neat to, to see her on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as, as, uh, as we baby boomers age, uh, we've always been as a generation on, on the forefront of cultural change. I, I think there's enough consciousness in our generation and enough desire for change that uh, we are going to be willing to face some of these taboos, including death, and to uh, approach them in whole new ways. And so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about, about where that is moving. Um, this being yeah, a metaphysically oriented show, um, we do tend to see death as a transition rather than an ending, you know, transition between uh, one life and, and the afterlife. Mm-hmm. But whether or not you believe that, there are still... Um, great uh, great richness in the ways that you present for approaching death have have you 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 worked in hospice for a while didn't you i didn't work extensively in hospice my um, my relationship to hospice was that some of the um, oral history work i did was with uh, people in the hospice program who wanted to uh, to tell their stories uh-huh. uh but i certainly have uh, uh, my original, one of my original colleagues in this work, Wes Burwell, was a longtime hospice spiritual director, and it's amazing how many people who come on our retreats are people who, who do work in hospice. And so I guess I would say that um, uh, regardless of one's beliefs about what happens after death, uh, doing that that inner work that helps to clear out old baggage, and that helps to to get rid of or transform regrets, and that helps to provide forgiveness when forgiveness is needed in our lives, that helps us to uh, rewrite some of the disempowering stories that many of us come to develop over the years about our unworthiness or about us being victims or us being unlovable. Doing that kind of work can be so incredibly valuable for helping us when we do get to our deathbed to feel that uh, uh, our lives have been good, to, to see that uh, 
that our lives have been worth living, that we have been, we have been good people, that we have been growing, um, to get rid of, of the kind of baggage that keeps so many people stuck and unable to let go with any kind of peace. And so doing that kind of work is, is incredibly valuable regardless of what we expect after, after death. And I would add that it's valuable not just in preparing for our physical death, but it's incredibly valuable in doing that inner work in preparing us for, for a real death as we disidentify from being midlife adults and begin to move into the identity of, of, of being elders. That's a major a death and a new beginning. It requires a lot of letting go and healing. And so this kind of inner work that I speak of in, in my book serves two purposes, to help us move into elderhood with good, strong, clear energy, and at the same time to help us uh, clean up the past so that when our physical death comes, we can be, uh, you know, fairly up-to-date. Now, this inner work actually uh, requires time and contemplation. Um, tell us about the concept of the neutral zone that you describe in your book. Well, anthropologists understand that all life transition, you know, the human process of life transition, involves moving through three stages. And rites of passage uh, are kind of intensive immersions in each of those same three stages. And the first stage is that stage of letting go. Uh, of the past, of healing the past, of uh, reflecting on the past, and then committing to move on. And then the second stage uh, is oftentimes known as the neutral zone. And those who know the work of um, the psychologist William Bridges know that he, he's the one who popularized that term. Other people call it liminal time. But it's, it's that time when we're not who we used to be but we are not who we are becoming. We're kind of in between. And when we're in that, that space, uh, it can oftentimes feel uh, very disorienting, like we're lost. We don't have clear goals. What used to have lots of meaning for us no longer does. But it's often the case that we don't know what's calling. We don't know if new meaning will ever come. Uh, we don't have a blueprint. It's a time that can be very, in some ways, uncomfortable to be in, but it's a time that is rich with potential because it's that time when it's kind of like we're lying fallow, waiting for the seeds of new beginnings to begin to gestate and to make themselves apparent. And um, I certainly believe, and my, my, our retreats uh, deal with this, and my book speaks to this, that if we allow ourselves when we are experiencing those neutral zone kind of feelings and experiences to be patient and to get quieter and to spend some time in nature and to do do those kind of things that that can help to to stimulate our imagination and tap our intuition and and um, um, with trust that when the time is right if we stay aware and conscious, new beginnings will indeed happen for us. That's the nature of, of our lives as human beings. 
if we can just allow ourselves to trust and to do those things that help us to hear that still small voice within, uh, we will know what's calling. New beginnings will begin to emerge. A vision for our elderhood will emerge. You know, this is really tough for us in our modern culture because uh, we always feel we need to, to be doing and we need to have you know, a clear vision of where we're headed. And so if you retire, it's okay to take a couple of weeks to go to Italy or something. But then when you come back, you're expected to answer the question, okay, what are you going to do now? Mm. Uh, but uh, oftentimes we need, to, we need to let it be okay that, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm in an in-between time. I'm, I'm going to allow myself to be there. And uh, when the time is right, I'll know what I'm going to do next. And so that's what the neutral zone is, that, that in-between time that, that's so full of possibility and richness, but also such a difficult and at times seemingly empty place to be in. So listening to our intuition, connecting with um, whatever source of, of inspiration we, we believe in, um, what are the elements that we should be looking for to pull together for the, um, that next part of life, for a, a satisfying um, outcome. You're asking, what are the elements? Uh, uh, Creativity, service, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think it's really important, especially important when we're in kind of in between time, in neutral zone time. It's really important to be looking at uh, what is it that. I have felt passionate about. Maybe at this time you don't feel any passion. But looking back on our lives and, 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 and reflecting on what is it at various times in my life, perhaps all the way back to my youth, that somehow stirred my imagination that, that I, I had passion for. And maybe I never had an opportunity to really pursue it for whatever reason. Um, that's still in there. And so, and so spending some time trying to imagine ways that we could act on some of those passions at this point in our lives um, uh, can be a, a really valuable, valuable thing for us. Uh, it, I think it is definitely the case that as we move into this transition from midlife adulthood into, into our elder chapters, that this is a really important time for us to deepen our sense of spiritual connection, you know, however we view that and however we label it or experience it. Uh, because it's not going to be from our mind sitting down, you know, with, uh, with uh, charts and graphs and, and pluses and minuses uh, uh, processes to try to determine what's really going to fulfill us as we move forward. I mean, the mind has a role, but ultimately, that kind of guidance, that kind of knowing comes from deep within, from the spiritual dimension of ourselves. Uh, and the more we, innate, we work to deepen our connection with that spiritual guidance in us, the more we're going to be able to begin to sense what is it that is our calling, our unique calling as, as adults. 
um, I think that this work, you know, while in some ways it sounds very psychological, and conscious aging work certainly has its psychological component, I think ultimately it is even more uh, about deep, deep spiritual work. And you mentioned creativity, Miriam. Um, Making sure that we engage in creative activities is a wonderful, another wonderful way to help open us up to inspiration and, and intuition. Um, because that's what creativity does. It just opens us up to whole other sides of ourselves, other depths of ourselves. And so I encourage anybody, especially people um, uh, uh, having strong neutral zone experiences, to do something or other that really uh, stimulates and allows them to use their creativity because that just opens you up to these, these wonderful depths of yourself. And engaging in these kind of things are what... Uh, uh, this is the kind of work out of which vision for our elderhood uh, most likely will emerge. But we have to create the space for it. We can't be so busy trying to just be doing stuff uh, that uh, we don't have the space for um, uh, for uh, for this kind of quiet and this kind of uh, opening to happen. You know, I would suggest that this uh, transitional um, state is happening throughout our lives and in in today's society even more um, uh, people are being uh, made redundant, out of work, finding themselves uh, prepared for a profession that no longer needs them or uh, has been outsourced overseas or whatever. And, uh, you know, kids are coming out of college, millennials, and finding no work. Um, so the the impulse to redefine yourself in terms of the spiritual component of your life in terms of the creative component finding something to do that really addresses your passion i think is speaking to more and more people of every single age i think i think it definitely is and uh... Uh, you know, as you may be aware, I certainly am. Um, there is a, I think, a strongly growing recognition of the uh, process of life transition and the importance of rites of passage and honoring those dynamics of, of life transition uh, throughout our society. There's all kinds of all kinds of rite of passage and vision quest programs happening for people of all ages now, which I think is is really wonderful. And and I would say that that my book really, while it's focused toward aging well and aging consciously, um, so much of it is about learning to live with awareness to live consciously, to allow ourselves to move through life changes, through life transitions uh, with, a, with awareness and intentionality. And, and these kind of practices and approaches can, can be immensely enlivening at any point in our lives. Um, and the more that we make them a way of life 
when we are younger, the better we're going to be able as we enter our elder chapters. We've already got a foundation. We've already almost got a habit of living this way, so we don't all of a sudden have to try to become mm-hmm. somebody different and adapt a whole new way of being when we're at a point in life where perhaps uh, because of health issues or lack of energy or whatever, it's awful hard to, to make big changes. The earlier we can adapt this way of living, the the better our life will be then, and certainly the better it will be uh, as we age. Tell us about some of the new models uh, that you describe in your book. Um, on uh, aging, particularly aging in community? Well, what I think many of us are seeing uh, is that there's a whole spectrum, a whole variety of of different approaches uh, to different aspects of aging that uh, are are very, very empowering. They're helping to empower empower us as we age in a whole variety of ways. And oftentimes these collectively are, are known as the positive aging movement, even though yeah, everybody's struggling with names now, positive aging, healthy aging, creative aging, conscious aging, a variety. Um, one, one facet of this multifaceted paradigm shift is a real strong movement now toward finding ways to help people as we age to have meaningful community in our lives. Um, I think so many of us recognize that, you know, the choice of just toughing it out in your own home or going to some nursing home or something like that, uh, oftentimes uh, neither can be a very um, positive, enlivening choice. Many people tough it out in their own homes and they're incredibly lonely and alienated. And so, you know, some of the facets of this uh, uh, aging and community movement include uh, uh, co-housing, some of which is elder co-housing and some of which is more um, uh, multi-generational co-housing. But uh, it provides a built-in structure to help people have community around them and be able to share their gifts with others and, and have others share gifts with them. Um, uh, maybe uh, various of your listeners are familiar with the village movement. And the Beacon Hill Village in Boston really started this 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And, and, and villages are basically people living in their own homes in parts of a city that all band together to, uh, to work together to uh, secure various kinds of services they need, um, to share their skills with each other, um, to engage in social activities, and in many cases to work together to engage in um, in community action and social change projects. And so it's a way of staying in your own home, but having many of the benefits of meaningful community. And uh, just a, a growing variety of wonderful uh, options for people. Um, uh, I love to see this happening, and I, I hope and trust it's going to uh, going to keep happening. I love the notion of banding together for social action because I think one of the most um, depressing aspects of growing older is this feeling of irrelevance, is the feeling that you can no longer contribute to the world. You know, you're just kind of taking up space and resources. So um, giving back 
in terms of service to the greater good, whether it's teaching or social action or mentoring or whatever, is such a vital aspect of conscious eldering. Um, how do we provide more opportunities for that within our communities, do you think? Well, I, I think uh, I, I see two, uh, two uh, aspects to, um, to what you're speaking of. And one is that uh, uh, just getting older people to get out there and be social activists, I think, can be very incomplete. I, uh, what I think is so important about conscious eldering is that it helps us recognize the important, importance of growing toward inner wholeness and getting a clear sense of what is, what is our way, what really calls us in terms of how to serve out there in the world. And then, and then on that foundation of, of wholeness, we can be most effective when we are out there giving our gifts in whatever way we give them. And so I, I really make a strong case in the book that the two have to go together, you know, clear vision and passion and wholeness and, and then expressing it out in, in the community. And I am really happy that uh, uh, there's a growing awareness of this, and I would like to mention the um, Conscious Elders Network, and uh, it started within the last year or year and a half, founded by a, a friend of mine named John Sorensen. And it's uh, a growing network of, I don't know, at this point, 30 or 40 organizations around the country that are all committed to some form of uh, to helping elders engage in some form of social action or environmental uh, environmental action. And this is really going to grow. Uh, it's attracting incredible attention and interest. And it'll be a way to help people around the country, help elders around the country be aware of a whole range of different opportunities to engage in, in social action. But the Conscious Elders Network, uh, as, I, as I said a moment ago, recognizes that you need whole people, growing people, to really be effective in social action. We want to bring wholeness to, to our world and not just fragmented selves that only contribute more grumpy old men and women yeah <laughs> yeah and so i think some really good opportunities are arising and i would encourage people if they'd like to learn more about the conscious elders network to go to consciouselders.org and you can learn about what uh, what john and uh, his network's up to and what about your website well my uh Center for Conscious Eldering's website is uh, www.centerforconsciouseldering.com, and you can learn all about our programs and our philosophy, and you can read several articles I've written there. And uh, there's also a, a link on there to um, uh, where you can find out more information about my book, Conscious Living, Conscious Aging. Mm-hmm. Would you have one kind of seed thought to leave with our listeners? I I would like your listeners and and anybody who my book and my work touches to be aware that now in a huge, huge way, we need a culture of conscious elders who are willing to keep growing 
and who are willing to, in, in whatever way, calls them to be of service to the larger world. We need that so very much. We can't have a whole generation of baby boomers somehow having 20, 30 years of their lives sitting around feeling irrelevant when all that skill and wisdom and potential growth and passion is there to help make a difference in this world and to help um, and help them as individuals to truly have a fulfilled elderhood and uh, not to settle for a whole lot less. I would say aim as high as you can because we can all aim much higher as we age than most of us realize. Mm. And just to to make a closing point, you did uh, mention how we can be conscious elders in whatever we do. It's simply the the attention, the awareness that we bring, whether it's to uh, being with our grandchildren or being in the community, the, the light that shines from within us in whatever we do. That's right. You express that beautifully. It doesn't have to be something big and visible. And as we get older and older, it may be that we're not able to be out there in very active ways. But imagine just being with grandchildren, for instance, knowing and believing and trusting that I'm not just kind of hanging out with my grandkids. I'm being a true elder for them. I'm being present. My light's shining for them. And I'm letting their wonderful little lights uh, you know, enliven me, uh, just that whole perspective of, of what we believe about ourselves and how we identify can make all the difference in the world. Hear, hear. Conscious Living, Conscious Aging, Embrace and Savor Your Next Chapter by Ron Pevney. Ron, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're very welcome, Miriam. It's been my pleasure. Remember, you can find Ron's book and lots of other suggestions for reading on our website at ncreview.com. I'd also like to put in a plug for my book with Julie Clayton, What Wags the World. It covers such a wide variety of awakening experiences and how people have reinvented themselves, how they've moved on from their daily lives onto the spiritual path and incorporated that into what they do in the world now. It really is a fascinating read, if I do say so myself, and of course I do. But I think you'd really, really enjoy it. So you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can always order it through your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. And I hope you'll join us next week when our guests will be Red Hawk and T-Hawk. And they're going to talk about their music, which is a new genre called Alternative. It's a genre of native conscious hip-hop. Fascinating. And now we're going to close with our track of the week from Gina Sitoli. It's all about celebrating life.
Celebration by Gina Citoli. If you're looking for a lively act for your next event, you couldn't do better than Gina's one-woman show, A Conscious Cabaret. You can find out more and connect with Gina through her website, ginacitoli.com. That's G-I-N-A-C-I-T-O-L-I.com. Well, that's our show for today. I'm so glad you were here. And I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.